Hello and welcome to this episode of the View from the Lab podcast. I'm your host, Andy Woods. In today's episode, I catch up with an innovative science teacher called Ewan Douglas, who teaches in the south of England. The focus of this podcast delves into how we can use software and digital simulations to help us support the teaching of practical work. Ewan has been experimenting for a number of years with his colleagues at St George's School down in Southampton, looking for the optimal approach that really supports learning in his school. He's got lots of great advice to share and resources to highlight. So let's not wait any longer. It's time to get started and hear Ewan's view from the lab. Hi Ewan and welcome to the View from the Lab podcast. Hi there, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. It's really nice to have a uh, what I call a proper teacher here today who is literally in between meetings. You've had a full busy day of um, teaching the good uh, children of Southampton, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, today? absolutely. Yep, yep. Well, so lunchtime duty as well. Okay, so lunchtime duty um, and you've got a governor's meeting later on. So it is uh, truly kind of dipping into a teacher's life and getting you for, you know, half an hour or so before you uh, have your nice snacks before the governor's meeting, which I'm sure will be good. Now, I've brought you in to talk to you, obviously, about um, uh, simulated practicals or, or kind of online practicals, which we'll get to in a moment. But I wanted to start off with um, just a bit of context, really, about... Um, who you are, where you teach, and um, how did you get there, I suppose? What what made you land in the school you're in? Um, and, um, you know, what are your current thoughts on teaching, perhaps, as well? Okay, so um, I, I work at St George Catholic College, which is a comprehensive down in Southampton. Um, I've been at the school for just over 10 years. Um, okay. And at the moment, my job is I'm a senior assistant head teacher, and I feel very lucky. I feel like I've got the best job in the school. Um, I'm in charge of the curriculum and teaching and learning right across the school. Um, so I've, I've been doing this role for, for, for just over a year. And before that, I was head of science. Um, and I did that for, for five, six, seven years, something something like that. Um, and really how I ended up at St George was was, yeah, it was it was an opportunity for the right job at the right time. Um, and uh, and have stuck around as, as things have worked out well and and really just love love working here. What makes it such a good school to work in? Because I know there's obviously schools are very, very different. You can go from one to another and it might just be down the road and the culture can be completely different. What is it uh, about St George's that really um, kind of inspires you to stay and, and keeps you um, in that particular educational establishment? Uh, so for students, first and foremost, um, uh, things have changed here over the 10 years I've been here. I think it's really exciting to to be at a school where you can see that change happening and mm. that improvement and and never being satisfied that we have improved it's always about but what are we going to do next what are we going to do next um and that that's a real challenge in terms of working somewhere like that but it's it's really exciting and it's and it's fantastic to be part of part of that team with with the staff and with the students as well but but yes we're, we're very high performing and and i think there's there's loads of fantastic things that happen every single day at the school but but we're, we're always looking for what can we do more of what can we do next what where can we get a bit more value what can we kind of add in um and that's that's what keeps it interesting for me that's what keeps it really exciting and is it quite a uh, large school is it obviously a catholic school so self-selecting pupils i guess to a certain extent but i guess you've got a wide catchment is it what, what's, the, what's the size of the school yeah, so we're, we're just over 950 students now, um, so pretty average size secondary school. We don't have a sick form, so it's just okay. into 16. Um, and, and as you say, being a, being a faith school, we're a Catholic school, so we don't have a catchment area as such. So our geographical reach goes right across 
the city of Southampton and a bit beyond as well, some of the, the areas outside the city. And, and, and where we're a popular school now, we're, we're very oversubscribed. So majority of our students are, are now baptised Catholic. And, uh, and, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's certainly changed in the 10 years I've been here, that kind of rapid improvement that we've, we've really enjoyed. That sounds really good. I was going to say to you, uh, I was going to ask you really about your, because you talked about being a head of science and obviously you must have started off your te teaching career as a science teacher. And I just wondered what you, and I asked this to all my guests, what was it about science that really kind of um, got you into it? Was it um, a, a teacher at your own school when you were growing up or is it something that you particularly thought, I just really like this subject for whatever reason, and you followed that path perhaps to university? Um, what was it? What is it about science that really um, gets you interested and excited? So there, there are two things that I remember. Um, so when I when I did my GCSEs and then chose my A-levels, I had I'd, I'd no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea what direction I was going in. I just picked things that I enjoyed. Um, yeah. And then when I was doing my A-levels, so sort of around 2000 to 2002, um, and at that point, the, the Human Genome Project was just being published. And it felt like such a, all the excitement in science felt like it was around biology. In the mm. way that a few years ago with, with Large Hadron Collider and so on, it felt like that was the cutting edge around physics. But but definitely when I was, you know, 16 to 18 year old, biology seemed like that was the, that was the exciting, the cutting edge. Um, and that made me really want to be a part of that and head in that direction. And and I remember as as a a really specific thing was watching the Blue Planet series, the, the original one. I can't remember what it must have been, 2000 or 2001. And I remember a Sunday evening watching an episode and it was the one about the deep sea. And seeing the first time I'd ever come across bioluminescence and these these fish and these sea creatures that produce light and glowed and just like just mouth wide open and just it just blew my mind and just yeah just just made me really want to then like biology is what I wanted to do was the next stage um, and just wanted to keep learning more but at, at the time it wasn't necessarily teaching um, just wanted to that was what I wanted to learn more that's what I wanted to study really. And how, what, what brought, you, brought you to Southampton was is was that where you trained as a young science teacher or have you moved from another region towards Southampton? Uh, so now I did my PGCE in Exeter and then um, my now wife, my, my girlfriend at the time, then fiance, uh, was doing a PhD in Bournemouth. Um, so she okay. was very fixed. She was working in the New Forest. Um, so she she had to be around Hampshire. Um, and so I was I, I, I found a job in Hampshire, happened to be in Winchester at the time, settled in. And um, and we've, we've kind of stuck around ever since, really. Um, but that that's how I ended up. So I worked in a couple of different schools in Hampshire. And then, as I say, the last 10 years, here at St George in Southampton um, and, uh, and hopefully we'll be here for a fair while yet. Apologies for this audio interruption but I just wanted to mention a free online event sponsored by Pearson edXL. It is open to all science teachers. On Monday the 21st of November 2022 we have our next free GCSE Science Network. Twitter icon Adam Boxer will be running the session on how to make the most of retrieval practice. He'll be covering the theory of retrieval practice, how to apply it in the classroom and how to use it effectively with interleaving strategies. This event can count towards your own professional development and you will receive your very own CPD e-certificate for joining us on the day. So how do you book? Just go to pdacademy.pearson.com that's the letter P, then the letter D, then academy.pearson.com and put Boxer in the search bar and the event will come up. Remember it's on Monday the 21st of November 4 till 5.30pm. Book now and we'll see you on the day.
So your total number of teaching years, was it 15 plus, definitely, is it? 15, 16, yeah. 15, 16. Okay, so you've seen quite a lot of changes as teaching does change, you know, even from one year to the next. Um, when you reflect on uh, thinking of what has changed, what, what do you kind of remember from the like, first couple of years of your teaching career? Because I can remember weirdly, I'm a bit older than you, I think, and I remember not even having a whiteboard. I just, I, well, I literally had a whiteboard with a pen. I didn't have any... Uh, projectors I just had a, a, a you know pens whiteboard um, and I think I might have had a, a dusty old computer but any memories from your first couple of years of teaching is anything that you think oh well I can't believe I taught like that uh, back in the day um, any reflections I think it's difficult because you've when it's that long ago you kind of you think you remember but you know you don't um, <laughs> and, and I definitely I know what you mean around that transition towards technology so I remember I remember doing paper registers yeah um they, they were still a thing um I, I i remember as as somebody entering the profession not imagining being able to do the job without a computer without a laptop and yet most of my colleagues in school barely used theirs mm. um you know there were still teachers next door using their overhead projectors um and yet downstairs there might be an interactive whiteboard and, and that kind of not conflict but that kind of quite rapid change and and it felt like there was quite a lot of money in schools at the time there was you know that investment going on in terms of what my lessons were like maybe I don't want to remember I don't know <laughs> um, it def definitely kind of things have changed and 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 they've improved and and I regularly talk to the kind of ECTs to IC ITE trainees it's uh that the standards are higher without a doubt you know they are they are better teachers than I was at the same time in in in, in our careers um without a doubt I think they're better prepared I think that whole movement towards things being much more evidence-based and our, our understanding of things like cognitive science and these kind of areas. Yeah. You know, that, those weren't things which I, I remember being a big part of my PGCE course. And yet, the new guys coming in, they're, they're really up to speed with it. And, and that's fantastic to see. And how do they find the, um, the, the kind of practical teaching? Because I always remember when I trained that I suppose it was a bit, I suppose you, you learn learn on the job to a certain extent. There wasn't any, any specific kind of training I remember from my particular my my course. Is that something that you think uh, kind of teacher uh, new teachers are better or worse or about the same in terms of practical skills and that in terms of uh, you know when they first start start their kind of teaching journey maybe as a PG student? I think they're, they're definitely better. I, th I think okay. the courses are much better. Um, and that's nothing against the course that I was on. Um, mm. I, th I think it, you know, prepared me and and I, and I felt ready. It's always difficult, isn't it, between do you give all of that kind of theoretical input and all of those ideas before they get into a classroom? Yeah. Um, but then it doesn't mean much and they haven't got that kind of context and that kind of wider understanding. Or do you just get them teaching really quickly with that much input and they, they learn more on the job? Um, so I remember my PGCE, we didn't go into a school until January. We we had a year, a, a term, sorry, solidly at university doing all of that. And then once we were in schools, we stayed in schools. Okay. Those people are, are teaching much sooner than that um, and going back to university more regularly, those kind of inputs. So I, I, I think whatever you do, you know, it, it just has a consequence, but um, it's it's really hard. It's it's a, there's a lot to learn, isn't there? And, and yeah. And then it, it's not only one year, obviously it's, right way through your career but to get to, to the stage you want them at at the end of that ITE year um, there's, a, there's a lot to cover but yeah I, I, it, it seems to me like people are as, as well prepared as they ever have been I think the standards are higher. 
That's great to hear. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I mean, the reason why I invited you on, because I saw you talk at, I can't remember what it was now, it might have been the ASC, it might be, I can't remember exactly where it was, but you were talking about, because we talked about practicals a moment ago, but you were looking into specifically virtual or, or simulated practicals. Um, and I think it was at the time, it was kind of in the middle of kind of lock, not, not in the middle of lockdown, but it was in that very kind of uh, heightened pandemic period between, you know, 2020 and uh, you know, end of 2021, I guess. Um, and was it, I mean, had you looked at these things before the pandemic, that these practicals that you could interact with uh, online, or is it something that just kind of kickstarted because of the pandemic um, in terms of your teaching and, and you using them with your classes? Um, a bit of both, really. So there's a, a colleague um, at the end of a corridor where I teach at the moment called Raj, who, who joined us um, a few years ago at St. George. Um, and he did a project looking at virtual labs before he did his PGCE. He did that project as part of a master's. Okay. So that was a conversation I remember having with, with Raj um, when, it, when I interviewed him a few years ago, but this was really interesting. It was on his application and, and we had various discussions over a few years about trying to make use of that and, 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 and bring it in. Um, but without a doubt, you know, the, the, the COVID situation forced people's hands, it accelerated, you know, the the, the push towards those kind of things um, and that kind of coupled with I've had a particular interest in good quality practical work um, for a few years. Um, a lot of it came through work with the ASE um, for a project called Making It Happen, which we were one of the trial schools for. And, and, and when COVID hit, it was kind of a, a bit of a mix of things where I felt like we'd got some momentum as a department around improving the quality of practical and I didn't want that momentum to go. And this thing that, that as I said, I'd been talking to Raj about and, and had wanted to to kind of get a bit more value from. And it it, it was certainly something which, yeah, as you say, um, then, then spent more time thinking about, more time using, more time experimenting with my own classes um, during those lockdowns. So I've, I've noticed in my notes I've put down, I've written down um, virtual practicals and simulated practicals. Now, are these one and the same thing in your in your eyes or? Is there, a, is there a distinction you'd say between those two or am I kind of talk, am I in, am I talking about the same thing with those two two terms do you think um I I'm going to use the either term interchange either term's I fine is there's it? definitely a difference I think not all not all virtual labs or, or or simulated experiments whichever one we're going to call it I don't think they're all the same um okay. in terms of a format so that the thing for me that's the, the kind of a first consideration is how kind of open-ended that simulation is so you get somewhere it's almost you know you, you click 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 and it just takes you through almost like an an, an annotated diagram yeah know, to, to some extent and there's there's no choice that the student or the person doing that experiment is making um and so everyone's experience is going to be absolutely identical up to those kind of really open-ended here's a here's almost like a, a a chemistry workshop and you can have any reagent and you can have any um, container and you can you know there's not one particular experiment they've got in mind you can kind of just go with it and be really really flexible so there's certainly I, I kind of imagine things along that kind of spectrum um, and uh, and and the, the benefits of, of each end or somewhere in the middle definitely vary on, on on what kind of practical it is or what kind of lesson or what we're wanting students to learn from it um, I, I guess it would be useful to have one one term for one end of a spectrum and one yeah. for the other end, but um, uh, I, I haven't seen anywhere that, that calls them different things. Um, 
and I guess that, that sometimes causes some confusion with teachers that I've worked with where they'll have in mind one one of those if you see what I mean and actually maybe there's a, a different type of simulation or a different type of enhancement um, which would actually be more appropriate or would be more useful than what they've used in the past. I see and um, being uh, an ex-teacher myself I know that a lot of teachers would be keen to know are any of these free to get started on and um, you know what are the advantages of the ones you've used to maybe get started or are they, or are they all um, paid, for, paid for at the moment or what, what kind of things are out there? Um, I think if they were all paid for, I wouldn't have uh, got as far with investigating and trying them out, if we're being honest. Um, I mean, there are some um, and there are some some good ones that, that add value um, in terms of, you know, just little things that they do with, with different kind of controls and making them very specific to different required practicals. But there's there's loads of free stuff out there. Um, FET, University of Colorado is probably the best known example. Um, uh, some other examples that I know are free. The physics classroom is really good. Java Lab, um, the Merlot Virtual Labs collection. There's loads of different places um, and all of those ones are absolutely free. Um, so in terms of trying things out and trying different approaches within lessons, absolutely. There's there's lots there's lots to to kind of have a go and, and trial without without it costing any money. Definitely. And, and I've definitely heard of um, uh, FETs before. Is that just a, is that just a physics one, or is that all the sciences? In that, is there different types in there? It's mostly physics. There's a few other ones in there, but um, they 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 tend to be more at that kind of closed end of that spectrum. Um, okay. So they tend to be very specific around one particular thing that they want to demonstrate or show or model. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, but they're very good. They're very um, very reliable. They're easy to access. Um, they're quite engaging. They look nice. You know, those kind of graphics are all there, and that that goes a long way um, towards them being useful with students. I think. And do you use them as? Um, I mean, we might say both, I suppose. But do you use them as in a kind of front of the class? Here's a here's an experiment that you you know we could or we're about to do. Or do you do you set it more of a individual learning tasks you might set it in maybe in a VLE or something virtual learning you know environment um might set up a homework for them to look at is it something you talk them through or is it something that you you know send the link this is this you know work I'm going to ask you some questions about it next lesson or you know might be a little mini test on it how do you use those kind of more structured simulations I stepwise ones as you said um in the classroom what, what's your approach so I think as with everything, it depends. It's, okay. it's the simple answer. So if we go back, if I'm going to do a practical or if I'm going to do any activity in my lesson, it's, there's got to be a reason why. So what's the purpose for this? Yeah. So if we think about practicals kind of with, with three main purposes about, you know, do I want them to get familiar with some particular equipment or, or technique or apparatus? Am I wanting them to, to reinforce their theory with a practical example? Or do I want them to understand what we mean by working scientifically, that scientific process. It, it's going to be one of those three. And I think that these virtual enhancements can support all three of those, but you're definitely going to use them differently. So, so if uh, I give you an example, let's say that we're doing a practical, I don't know, it's law of reflection. Okay, so um, rather, old classic. You know, we could, we yeah, absolutely, so we could stand up and we could tell them that the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection. And here's a diagram on the board. But most teachers that I know and that I've worked with or gone and seen their lessons, they do this as a practical and they want students to basically derive that 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 law. You know, they want mm. to see it. 
Um, the problem is that you'll you'll give students the instructions and you'll say, right, shine the you know beret box, line it up at 20 degrees, then 30 degrees, then 40, and measure the angle coming out. But the number of times I've, I've had students say, well, the angle of incidence was 40 degrees and the angle of reflection was 41 degrees. Therefore, the angle of reflection is greater. And we know that's just a measurement error. But but mm. to a student, it's that complication around the, the accurate measuring or do they know how to use a protractor or, or can they get the cables for the ray box into the right bit of the power pack? Are they using the DC or the AC or have they got the voltage too high or too low or have they made the room so dark that now they can't see their exercise books? All of those things get in the way of what should be a really quite straightforward thing. Mm. And so using a virtual enhancement maybe on the board as a demo and saying that this is what you're going to do, these are the measurements you're going to take can help them to get the measurements we want them to take or maybe you do it after the experiment to kind of go right you've done it let's check on the board what 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 we what we get and then you've kind of got those agreed results so with that particular purpose I'm, I'm kind of thinking well I could use it before I could use it afterwards there's other ones you might almost want it as you say like a flip learning kind of approach yeah I might set that virtual experiment as a homework and then effectively in the lesson, they're replicating that. And that's certainly something I've done with required practicals in the past at GCSE. Yeah. They've, they've got all of that fiddling and all of that. Um, can we break it? What happens if we turn it up to max? <laughs> you get all of that out of their systems. Um, and then, you know, the lesson time is that bit more efficient. They're getting, uh, they're getting results faster. They know what they're expecting. They can identify if things are going wrong because they know what should happen. So. In terms of when we're doing them and when we're doing the hands-on practical, it, it absolutely it comes back to what's the purpose of the practical, why we okay. do it in the first place, and how can that enhancement kind of remove some of the obstacles, or how can it it build on what we want to, to really take from it? Yeah, I mean, definitely the the the, the kind of positives of obviously electronic projection of of, of things. Um, it's really helpful. And I was made, made me think about when you were talking. Made me think about the fact that uh visualizers for example are something that was coming into the classroom when i was when i towards the end of my um classroom uh teaching career and i was thinking that 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 in itself must be a great um help in terms of demonstrating practicals because the problem i always had is you know 30 kids around you surrounding you trying to explain some intricate as you say physics experiment and the, the problem problem problems of just not being able to see what you are doing with your hands and where you're put where you're putting uh, the wires and where you're putting the you know, the various bits of equipment and that's in a sense bird's eye view which is probably the most useful view when you're when you're looking at uh, like a, that structure you were talking about particularly um and, and and students not being having having a kind of uh, uh literally an angle on that so to speak uh, and uh, i can see how software simulation must really really help that in terms of even if you're just setting off an experiment this is what it, what it looks like um the problem i suppose with lots of simulations is that uh, what is on the screen sometimes might be not exactly what your school look, your power pack looks like and might look a bit weirder, a bit different. Um, so that's always challenging as well, because obviously all schools are different and we've, we've all got slightly different equipment. Um, uh, so they're, they're all kind of um, working out. I mean, I was, you're talking about um, core practicals as well. I mean, how useful, um, are there any ones that particularly stand out in terms of being useful for uh, GCSE that you use more than others? Because I guess sometimes you think, well, it's, I, I'll do it myself better than, than this simulation does or... Any thoughts on the kind of the GCSE practicals you're doing at the moment? Um, so, so, so one that I've definitely done it in that kind of that flip learning type approach is um, 
uh, the, the amylase biology experiment. Okay. So, 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 so they, they, they get some starch and then they add the, the amylase and then every minute or every 30 seconds, you know, you're taking the sample in, in iodine in a, in a dimple tray, those kind of things. Um, yeah. And the reason getting the students to do that beforehand is really good is because once they're doing it, they have to take a certain measurement every minute and, and they have to keep up with that. And so there's only so much that a student can concentrate on. You know, we, we you know we can talk about mm. cognitive load, for example. Yeah. Around while they're actually doing that practical, they they can't really be thinking about enzymes. They can't really be thinking about what's going because they have to follow the procedure at the right time. And so, yeah, but by doing the virtual experiment beforehand, it frees them up. They're that more familiar. They know what they're going to do. They know what's going to happen. They know at some point it's going to stop going black. And at that point, we record the time and so on. Um, so that one, I think, definitely works much, much better. They get better results when they do it hands on if they've had the opportunity to do it virtually afterwards. And you can then go back to the virtual afterwards and, and go much slower than you can in real time because you can make that 30 second window last as long as you want now. And you can yeah. explain about, OK, now now I've given it two minutes. What what would I see if the enzymes finished its job? What would have gone on in the tube? How would it how will this experiment show me that all of the um, all of the substrate has been digested? All of the, you can have that discussion, which you can't have in real time because they're busy with a pipette and a dropper and all the rest of it. So that that change of time scale and being able to bring the students attention to what you want when you want it is really, really useful. Um, Trying to think of another example, uh, things like um, so the photosynthesis one again, mm. um, with the algae balls. That's going to take a lot longer than you've got in a lesson, mm. you know, in terms of to actually see those results. So you could get students to set it up. Do we need to then put 15 sets of equipment in a cupboard with a lamp as a fire risk overnight to really see that indicator change? What are students really gaining from that or or can they set it up hands on? then use the, the, the virtual lab to show them exactly what would happen, mm. bring a dummy set of results out or one example set of results out next lesson that they can get some measurements from. So being able to speed things up, being able to slow things right down um, and give students more time to think and to, yeah, to, to spend time thinking about what we want them to be thinking about, which goes back, like I said before, it's about the purpose. What are we wanting them to learn? Yeah, and uh, it made me think, I know I don't usually talk about Pearson Edexcel being the sponsor of the podcast, but I know you're a Pearson Edexcel school and um, um, for, our, for our board particularly, we obviously got the you know videos which obviously have been helping teachers as well for the for the core practicals. But I think the, um, the thing linked to that, I guess, is once you've, in a sense, when you've done the practical practically in real life, I, I see real value in, in a sense, there being a homework on, you know, in terms of reiterating that practical, maybe do the practical again, perhaps on the virtual simulation, but instead of beforehand, I can see the value of, you know, making those connections because you don't always have, you don't, well, you, I know you don't always have time to repeat practicals again and again and again, but if there's a quicker, more effective way to do that, um, which is looking at the principles, but, but the students have had the physical hands-on tactile, um, uh, you know, experience of a lab because that shouldn't be taken away. I think that that obviously probably links quite nicely to obviously preparing them for things like assessments. It, it might help in, in in that sense as well. So as you say biology ones are notoriously, in my mind, um, a bit more um, unpredictable, perhaps. Um, uh, so you know, I, I'd probably take that as a as a as, as a something that's an advantage, I guess, with this technology. Would you say? Yeah, and it's so. I think there's two things there. One is um, it's a great way of revising things where you, know, yeah. you can revise 
six core practicals in one lesson now because you, you can have a little thing you know you can put the image up you can ask students what the different bits of equipment did you can ask them what you know why they did what were the results why did it happen that way so you can go really quickly you can also if a student has missed a lesson um they can have that experience you know we, you don't always have time it you know as much as we would love every student who misses a lesson to somehow give them that same opportunity again with some with some practicals in some schools that just isn't isn't feasible um and at least you know it's it's a it's a it's a good opportunity for students between watching a video or or doing the virtual kind of the version of it they've got a pretty good experience of what we, of what went on um and so on but but i think what you're saying is absolutely right this can't replace hands-on practical work and i'd and okay during covid we looked at ways we can do this differently what we're what I'm really talking about now is doing these things better and and I wouldn't I, I, I think I want to see more hands on practical enhanced by these virtual simulations. I, I wouldn't want to go into lessons and see them all with an individual tablet doing a, a required practical on a tablet and having never had that experience on their own. I, 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 that would be that, that would be a massive shame and I think students would miss out hugely um, yeah. being done. Um, definitely it's it's enhancing not replacing without a doubt definitely i mean you're talking about um FET, which is physics um are there any free ones that are good for the the kind of more messy sciences or put them biology and chemistry any any good ones that you've used that are good at that reiterative um you know process in terms of there may be a bit um predictable in terms of what, what the outcome might be perhaps but maybe they are good for you know reinforcement of uh, certain parts of the curriculum anything any, any uh, areas you'd point people towards the java lab as another java lab is is good um and the merlot um or merlot if you're a wine drinker um, <laughs> so i'm not sure how they pronounce it whether it's whether it's that way or not mm. um in terms of free ones they're, they're good places um yeah they're, they're, they're good shouts to begin with good chance to find out now i was going to ask you uh before you go today to your uh governor's meeting which i suspect will be happening uh very soon um i was going to ask you about uh practicals uh generally you know and the way obviously the um we got a core practicals at the moment um thinking about you know when reform comes around again and uh, there's new examinations etc is there anything that you would like to see as a science teacher changing in any way because obviously it's a very what's your exam focused at the moment you would have been uh, you you've, you've taught a decent amount of time you would have had experience of coursework as well in your time um any thoughts about that in terms of um things going forward do you think how how do you how would you like to see things change in the future if you had the ear of the the dfe and you could um influence them um well, hopefully we won't have newly reformed GCSEs for a while yet. These ones have already lasted longer than than previous GCSEs, and, and yeah. uh, that, that I'm sure COVID's involved in that, and people bigger issues to worry about. But I, I definitely, I, I feel that this is the best version of a GCSE that I've taught. I remember when it was first announced that we weren't going to have controlled assessments anymore, and everything was going to be in the exam. I remember conversations around. This is going to really limit practical work. It's going to put teachers off doing practical work. It's going to devalue it. My experience and, and most people I speak to, they found the exact opposite. I think it's, it encourages better practical work than I've seen um, because there isn't a shortcut. But the problem with controlled assessments and all the evidence was there in terms of the documents that, that, that they put out to explain why they got rid of them was everyone did really well. <laughs> and 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 
and it kind of took a lot of pressure off lessons in key stage three for example where you didn't really need them to learn a huge amount about practical work because you knew when it came around to controlled assessments the students would be fine you know it was it was definitely the easiest 25 percent it, it was and, and the evidence was there now it's in the exam you have to do it properly so if they don't know how to handle equipment if they don't know what we're talking about with different variables it's going to show up in the exam and if you know if we know anything about how education works if it's in the assessment then teachers will value it and if teachers value it students will value it and i think the the value that's placed on good practical work and understanding what they're doing in the practical work is definitely better um so i, I like the controlled uh, I'd, I'd like the uh, core practical approach um i think that you know and then questions on those um and what i keep telling people you know that i work with is it's not about the the, the core practicals you know it's the it's the apparatus it's the techniques those core practicals are there to exemplify them and make sure the students have experienced that but the exams are wider you know we get those application those ao2 questions on practicals students find those really tough if the only practical you've ever done are the core practicals the students are going to miss out so looking for ways of and again the, the virtual experiments might be a way of broadening their experience in those same apparatus and techniques without it becoming a massively time consuming thing um you don't have a time to, you know we need to do osmosis with potato chips but it's not about potatoes just always remember it's for potato practical don't they and it's most as practical but trying to get them to understand but it would have happened with carrots it would have happened with parsnips it would have happened with slugs you know we could have done the same thing um a, a virtual experiment is a good way of showing that and and showing what you could have tweaked and changed and and, and as i say the apparatus and technique being consistent there yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll put a disclaimer out to the Pearson XO lesson listeners to not do osmosis with slugs, though. <laughs> that might be a that virtually, might lose some uh, some, le no, some league of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it with um uh yeah, I could do uh, Haribo bears and the rest rest of it and uh, you know jelly sweets etc. So yeah, there's lots of different yeah the context I think is what what students find very difficult in terms of transferring it. I think we all do as humans to be honest, taking things out of context and thinking about something how something might apply in a new situation. I think that is obviously the one of the key um, key parts of science and, and, and understanding whether you've got that concept and you can apply it to something new and that's what what it's, what it should, what it should all you know should, should be about in terms of showing what you know um, about what we you know whatever concept you're learning so that's interesting to know and interestingly out of, in your school particularly because there seems to be a debate in schools at the moment about whether you should do like a three-year key stage three or a two-year key stage three and then go on go on to um uh GCSEs anything you're obviously in 11 to 16 school not that matters because obviously 11 to 18 schools have got to make this decision as well um, is there anything, so what have you decided in your school, and um, I feel like I'm Ofsted now, why did you decide to do it? Well, as I said at the start, so so my role as assistant head teacher in terms of curriculum, when Ofsted come in, this is exactly the conversation I'll be having with the whole school hat on, never mind yeah. science. I think for a core subject, it to some extent it's arbitrary, mm. you know, it's, you've got them for five years, teach them really well for five years. And, and don't worry about too much about what's key stage three and key stage four, just do what's next. You know, what do they need to get better at? What's the next thing on that student's journey? And get them as far as you can by exam day at the end of year 11. Um, we do have a two year key stage three and a three year key stage four. Um, we, we, we do certain things with that, that, that are kind of whole school. So we, we have what we call an accelerated key stage three. So we make sure we finish the national curriculum by the end of year eight. And then we enhance our key stage four. So particularly in the foundation subjects, 
we, we make sure that they go above and beyond the GCSE in both subjects in order to make up for the lost time that they had in the subjects that they drop a year earlier in effect. Um, so you kind of a three year key stage three and a three year key stage four, you can only have that third year once. Um, we choose to put it into key stage four, but we don't use it for revision and exam practice and going slower. We we go beyond, we go further. Um, and obviously that's far more relevant in the in the option subjects than it is in core where, as I say, you've got them for five years, whichever kind of whole school curriculum model you've got. Um, so that's what we do. Um, and uh, when Ofsted came last year, they, they didn't mind. They were quite happy with that um, and hoping the same when they come back later this year, more than likely. That's good, good to hear. Um, uh, hopefully the, the listeners will have some good tips there for some Ofsted conversations in their schools. So um, the other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about that, and I think I've spoken to you about this off the podcast, but um, how what I'm always interested in how schools decide um, who does uh, separate sciences, the triple sciences, as it were, because I've, been, I've worked in schools that some have liked certain exam, like you guys are doing it, that's the end of the story. Other people have said, other schools I've been in have said, everyone chooses, do what you like, um, even if it's challenging, they'll have different types of groups. Um, and, you know, there's parental pressure as well in different types of schools about what is the right course for their their child, of course, that, you know, uh, you know, rightly so that they, they have an input on that, of course. But um, is there anything, um, is there any particular, particular approach you, you have in your school that has, um, you know, worked well, or I guess it's always, a, always something that might be changing but um what do you people do what's what do you people do what do you do in st george's sorry so when well, it's changed actually so when i was head of science um i i think it's difficult and whatever you do it, it isn't a straightforward obvious answer so i didn't want to take an option and narrow a curriculum i didn't want students to not study a language to do a third science or to not do an art subject to do a third science that didn't fit well with me and i didn't want to try and for students to do triple science just because they're in the higher set, because that isn't what separate science should be about, it should be a, an equal entitlement for everybody. So I didn't like that model. I did want to offer it, as you say, because students want to do it, parents want it to be offered and so on. So what we used to do was do it as an after school enrichment effectively. So students who wanted to uh, would stay after school in years 10 and year 11, and they'd have additional lessons in biology, chemistry, physics, um, and one of the fantastic things about the edXL exams that we do is you can then, uh, because they do the same exam and then an extra 35 minutes, you can you can effectively double grade them when they come to mocks, identify what you actually want to enter them for at the end. So they'd commit to the after school sessions to learn more science, and then we make a decision later on about the actual entry. But um, Claire, who took over for me as head of science a couple of years ago, um, decided that actually we should have more students do triple science and again we're not a catchment area school like I said before and so that commitment to stay after school is a big deal you know don't have a school bus and it's going to cost you financially so that definitely limited our numbers and, and particularly around the, the pupil premium students were less likely to take it up and Claire identified that quite rightly and so now we basically say look if students want to do it we put them in a couple of groups in 10 and 11 and they go fast enough through the curriculum and we use homework time differently in order to cover the, the triple content. Um, but it's opt-in. We want to do it in those classes. If they don't want to do it, we just move them out of those two classes. Um, 
uh, what we'll do long term. Uh, Claire's actually leaving us at Easter and we're, we're on the hunt for a new head of science. Um, so, so whether that will change again under new leadership, I don't know, but um, that's the model we've got at the moment to say we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think whatever you do, it, there's pros and cons. You know, it's not there's, it, there's not one model that works fantastically well. Um, we're just trying to make the best of it and make sure that opportunity is there. Apologies for this audio interruption, but I just wanted to mention a free online event sponsored by Pearson LXL. It is open to all science teachers. On Monday the 21st of November 2022, we have our next free GCSE Science Network. Twitter icon Adam Boxer will be running the session on how to make the most of retrieval practice. He'll be covering the theory of retrieval practice, how to apply it in the classroom, and how to use it effectively with interleaving strategies. This event can count towards your own professional development and you will receive your very own CPD e-certificate for joining us on the day. So, how do you book? Just go to pdacademy.pearson.com That's the letter P, then the letter D, then academy.pearson.com and put Boxer in the search bar and the event will come up. Remember, it's on Monday the 21st of November, 4 till 5.30 p.m. Book now and we'll see you on the day. Well, just to wrap up with, I was going to ask you, um, I used to ask people on the podcast about, about books, but it seems people don't read as many books as they used to, um, but I'm sure you I'm sure you do. But um, I just wondered if there's any, where you go for inspiration for science um, resources. Is there like a YouTuber or a, I don't know, TikToker these days, I don't know, uh, or someone on Twitter, or is there somebody you actually think, oh, they've written a good book or... Is there any places you tend to go back to more than once? I know you've got all your sim- you know, simulations and the virtual experiments, but is there anybody particularly you know in the educate- science education world that you think is worth um, investigating? So in terms of where I get my inspiration from now, um, like you said, ASE. So so I, I'm lucky enough that I get the time out from school to, to go in a, and present at, at national conferences and regional conferences. And when I'm there, I meet people and I get to... to to hear about different things and network with people um, yeah. and, and definitely and I've been a member of the ASE for since I began my PGCE and the more the longer I've been in my career the more involved I've got with ASE and the more I've got out of that um, in terms of books the most recent book that I found particularly useful was was around assessment by Andy Chandler-Grevitt who I, I think you've had on your podcast before. we have indeed we have indeed yeah through, through work with with um, ASE um, and uh, yeah, it, his the way that he thinks about assessment, but the way that he communicates about assessment. Um, I remember reading one of his books and just thinking, this is what I thought, but never been able to say as well as he does. And uh, and it really helped me to communicate with colleagues and with students about why we were doing certain things. Um, and and that that definitely. Um, so yeah, and anything by Andy around assessment, I can never recommend enough. But, but getting out there and attending these conferences with COVID, some of them are now online. You know, there's lots mm. of webinars that are out there. And yeah. Finding the time and, and, and networking and, and making most of those opportunities. Mm. Well, I think that's a good thing. I mean, in a sense, the, the things like the conferences you mentioned, I, I quite like that. Um, I think the I might be wrong. I'll have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure a, the ASC might be doing like a virtual and uh, in-person conference. And I, I'm a great believer in that because it gives flexibility to people. I mean, this year, uh, sorry. Hopefully this will go out before the end of 2022. I know it's in Sheffield at the beginning of 2023. And as I say, for someone like yourself down in Southampton, it might be a bit more of a, a wrench to go um, or more difficult, you know, with you know family commitments or what have you and work commitments to get to get to their places physically. So I think there is a, 
quite you know it's, it's it's an advantage that you know you could you can do both you could you could you know it's truly hybrid you could go there and uh, in person or if you can't do it that year it's still great to catch up with some of the great speakers um, um at these conferences as well yeah absolutely and that's exactly right there will, it will be a hybrid offer so a small number of those sessions will be available online um and that yeah it's more convenient if you're if you're not up in the north um and it's you know it gives that flexibility to watch some of those sessions in your own time and so on um, but I, I will be in Sheffield for a couple of days in January. You will be. Well, um, I'll probably make a travel up. Um, but yeah, def definitely that hybrid option. I'm really excited uh, by and really pleased that ASC are offering that. I think it's really good value as well. It's fantastic. Well, I'm this is going to force me um, to get this episode out before Christmas, uh, Ewan. Um, so that's a big bit of motivation for me um, to make sure that happens. So. Thank you very much for your time today. As I say, I know you've got a, a grueling governor's meeting ahead uh, this evening. I'm sure it'll be nice. Sure, it'll be nice, nice biscuits. So thank you so much for joining me and uh, and telling us your view from the lab today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, all the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of my conversation with Ewan, who is a true innovator in the classroom. I think you'll agree. Do you work with anybody in your college or school that has some great practice that they should be sharing with a wider audience? Feel free to get in contact with me on my personal work address, which is andy.woods at pearson.com and we can get the conversation started. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next one.